Hey everyone, welcome to Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and I've suffered from depression nearly my entire life. It sucks. This is a podcast that focuses on mental health broken down in a relatable way and told through personal experiences. P.S. I'm not a doctor, but each week my guests and I will cover everything from recognizing symptoms of anxiety and depression to providing accessible tips, tools, and resources that support mental wellness. So get your weekly prescription with me. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Ben Better, How About You? I'm your host, Katie Nara, and today I'm joined by Jade Iving. Jade is the host of Tell Me About It, the weekly podcast that is here to remind you that the women we constantly compare ourselves to also have lives that are far from perfect. She's made a career out of skipping small talk and diving straight into conversations about insecurities, mistakes, losses, and the heartbreaks that make the women we respect who they are. All the things we don't file under success story. Jade sits on the boards of both the Sola I Can Foundation, where she spearheaded the 1000 by 1000 campaign to bridge the digital divide in Los Angeles, as well as the UCLA Resnick Neuropsychiatric Hospital, two organizations that are close to her heart. When she's not researching or recording, you can find Jade at home with her pug taco or on the phone with one of her three siblings. Jade lives, works, and podcasts from Los Angeles, California. Hey, Jade. How are you? Hi. How are you? Thank you for having me. Well, thank you for being here virtually, I guess we should say again. Of course. Of course. So I want to know like how you decided to create Tell Me About It. Was there an aha moment or? For sure. Was this something you always want? I know you've talked about how you always wanted to have a talk show, but you didn't want to have a talk show where it was just kind of fluff. Yeah, no. So I definitely like started um, after college, like started hosting here and there, you know, like doing like red carpet hosting, whatever really I, anyone would invite me to do. Um, (laughs) And it just felt so uninspiring, you know, to ask about like outfits or this or that. And then I like worked for a media company and I would start doing interviews for them. And, you know, obviously they have specific questions they wanted me to answer. Like a lot of them were like political or, you know, like stuff like that, which is obviously interesting and has its place somewhere. Um, But I always was really attracted to real conversations. I almost like can't have small talk. It's like, it's almost a problem. So it's like, I know that I have always been the person that people confide in. And I always felt like growing up, I was the person that had to go through something so that I could be the person for all my friends to like talk to when they went through it. I always, I was like the first one to go through things. Like even when I was young, like my parents were the first ones to get divorced and like little things like that. Um, So then when I left my, my first job, I was like, kind of like, you know, I was in a really bad place, which we can get into. I was like, so depressed, so anxious. Um, Basically, like I just couldn't outrun my mental health issues anymore. Um, And I tried really hard, you know, like I was, and I was just in a really dark place and I kind of came to a crashing halt and I had to leave um, that media job that I had. And I, you know, I like did really intensive therapy. I did like a mental health in like out patient program, like we we do like group therapy every day. Um, And I just came out of it like, I can't even pretend if I tried, 
You know, I was just like, I am a different person. Like I went through this crazy thing. Like my whole life is so different. Um, so then I was like, okay, what, you know, what, what's the internet? What, like, what's going on? Like, where can I connect with people with women specifically? Cause I've always been into the female experience and story. Um, and at the time it was like 2016, 2017 or 2017, 2018 actually. And, um, I, you know, everyone was kind of talking about skincare. It was like when skincare was big. And so like, everyone I feel was like, that's like, all anybody talks about still. Right. Like, ho- I'm A like, a little bit. For sure. For sure. But at the time it was like where everyone was being authentic. It was the only place where women were saying like, I have pimples. Like I remember watching like a, an Instagram live and this influencer was like, you know, I've been really wanting to talk to you guys about this breakout that I had. And by the way, I totally understand how traumatic breakup breakouts can be, you know, but it just like reminded me how hungry people are for connection and to see their struggles in someone that they admire and like how, how that's been the only thing that's ever worked for me. Like anytime I ever went through something, even like my insane depression and anxiety, like I remember listening to a Lena Dunham podcast that she did. And it was like, wow, hearing my story languaged gives me the confidence to talk about it. Like the freedom, the liberation to actually like talk about what I've gone through in my life. Like when I used to just keep it all as a secret and thought there was so much shame in everything that I'd ever gone through. And um, yeah, so I just was like, so I was doing that skin care. I, I decided to do skincare blog- blogging. This is a really long-winded way of answering That's your fine. question. That's fine. Um, But yeah, I started skincare blogging and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is like, so not for me. Like this is so, um, you know, no, I'm not knocking anyone that's a skincare blogger because that is amazing. But I just had people like coming up to me at parties all of a sudden and they were like, I have this cystic zit. And I was like, I could not care less. You know what I mean? I was like, talk to me about your childhood trauma, but like, I don't care about, you know, whatever. So you know, and I would meet with agencies and stuff and they were like, okay, like, how can you make your life look more aspirational? And I was like, that is like, wait, what do you mean? Like, like they, like for, they would advise yeah, on social media. Like they were like, that's what's in right now is people want to copy lifestyles. So like more aspirational, you can make your life look the better, which is like goes against everything I've ever been taught. That makes sense. So this was 2018. Yeah. Okay. I feel like, yeah, all the filters and like the, just like really fake. Yes. And like very curated, like where the feeds are one color and like, you know, very produced. Um, And I remember meeting with this agency and they like said that to me. And I was like, I am the girl that like face plants, like on, like, I'm just, I just stumble my way through life. You know what I mean? Like I am accident prone. Like I have to learn lessons the hard way. And I was like, that is so like I've spent my whole life proving people like that my life is not aspirational or like what they would assume it is. And so I, it just felt really off brand to me and was like super unsettling. And one day I said to myself, I was like, okay, if I got, what is the highest accolade in skincare blogging or in this blogging world, right? Let's say I got that award. Let's say it's a Revolve award or whatever the What I wonder like, what is it? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Like, what would it be? Like a writing an article for Vogue or I don't know. And I was like, whatever it is, I wouldn't like, it wouldn't feel good to me. Like, you know what I mean? I just felt like 
no matter if I like reached like the pinnacle of success for this industry, it's not true. Like it doesn't feel like, like I'd be like, oh yeah, I was always into skin. Like in high school, I wasn't, you know what I mean? The whole thing was just like, like I love skin. Yeah. yeah, Like I love products. Sure. But it's like, I want to talk to you about so much more. So anyway, I kind of was like, fuck, you know, and luckily it happened at a time where podcasts were started like a lot of people were starting to have podcasts and I was like okay all of a sudden I realized you know because I kind of thought if I started skincare blogging maybe someone would see like a lot a video that I did and see that I could be a good host like I was kind of expecting for someone to put me where I was supposed to go like a stepping stone yeah which can happen which can happen but I wasn't doing something that was authentic to me you know so it like I would have gotten a weird job offer or whatever it would be like from what I was doing um I I was like I remember it so vividly I was in my bed which I always am and I was thinking to myself like I don't have to wait for someone to give me the permission to be a talk show host like I can start my own show that is based on the antithesis of a success story podcast like all of those that we listen to are great you know and they're wonderful but like I wanted to create something like, I don't even let my guests talk about their career barely, unless it's like in relation to, you know, something that made them feel anxious or insecure or whatever. I just really try to make my podcast like a really safe space where there is just no way that you can feel worse about your life after listening to it, you know, like, or that you can feel like inadequate or excluded, you know, which I feel like you can feel on success story podcasts a lot. Yeah. You're like, oh, great. They just did their fifth book. Like I will kill myself now. Right. Or even like little things like, oh, you know, I went to Harvard business. I'm like, okay, fuck. I didn't go to Harvard business school. So I can't do what, like, so I didn't, I can't do what they do. You know, there's just, I just felt like they were reasons why, like they just created more reasons why I couldn't do things, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest thing for me is I always saw my trauma and mental health issues and whatever as reasons that I couldn't do something. So it meant something, it was so important to me to have guests that that other people found cool or respected or admired so that they could see how they took those things that are, should be reasons that you can't do something and show why that like, how you can do them anyway. You know, like just that they're proof that you can live to tell the tale. Did you, now growing up, did you, know that you had depression or was it I'm always curious to hear someone's story of when they realized like like this may sound but in a way it's a good thing like oh I'm not like everyone else you know because I I feel like everyone the now looking back you can probably pinpoint that time or yeah I think hindsight is 2020 of course but um right I'm like I don't don't know if you're supposed to use that term or like that saying anymore after we've had 2020 and whatever but whatever the pandemic I've heard it's like I don't whatever anyway um hindsight is 2020 we're gonna use it anyway um yes yeah I think like growing up looking back I definitely had I I I wasn't like everyone else like I definitely was more sensitive um my childhood wasn't like everyone else's I had a lot of things that um made me grow up really fast um and I I definitely always was so like had a I don't know, like, I want to say like a soulful, like connection to people. Like I just always um, gravitated towards like deep conversation. And even at a very, very young age, like I was always told, like I was, you know, like very old for my, or whatever that's like an old soul, an old soul. Thank you. Yeah. So I think like, yes, I was extremely different than other people, but I 
put so much pressure on myself to be the same as everyone else. And to, you know, because of what I'd gone through in my personal, like my family stuff, like I just wanted to be perfect. I wanted everyone to think I was perfect and I was willing to do anything to convince you that I was perfect. And I just did that for like all of my middle school, high school, I think as early as like fifth and sixth grade, you know, just like was trying to be like, okay, don't look at like my family or anything that you think is going on at home. Like just pay attention to how perfect I am. And it was exhausting, you know? So I think um, I definitely had, I was too sensitive for the world around me for a long time, you know? And then, um, and I, I thought I could outrun it, you know? So I tried like hell, like I tried so hard. I, um, and then when I was working at that media company, uh, well, no, before that. So in college I had this surgery and it like, like a reproductive surgery or whatever. And it really messed with my hormones. And from that, what, do you mind telling like what, when you say reproductive, what kind of surgery yeah. like you don't, you don't have to say it if you don't want to. I had an abortion and it really messed with my hormones, you know, which I didn't anticipate at all. So it just exacerbated my mental illnesses that I had like really that were left undiagnosed. And, you know, like, I think when you go, when you're put in therapy so much as a child, like, you know, when my parents got divorced and all these other things, like I was, they always put me in therapy. So I was kind of like, I had an aversion to it because I was just like, you know, like it never, I thought it, it never really like worked. It was more like a, every memory I had of therapy when I was young was like fighting with my parents really badly or like, you know, just all like, I never saw it through long enough to see any results. So I was like, okay, I need to go back to therapy because all of a sudden I can't get out of bed. Like wow. I was just, and I was hit with um, panic attacks. Like I'd never had one single panic attack before in my life. And I had them every day at one point, like twice a day. So this made the hormones. Yeah. I mean, hormones are so strong, which I don't yeah, even realize. I, right. And like, I didn't, I was just coming out of college. So like, I never paid attention to hormones and, uh, and so whatever. So I was like, very much so in the dark. Like, I think just not knowing, I think, you know, it's a huge problem for women to a not know a lot about mental health stuff, but it's also a huge problem for women to not understand like the connection between that and your hormones and whatever. So I was having panic attacks every day and I quickly, quickly learned that like, that is an experience that makes you terrified to leave the house. So that compounded with my depression, I was just like, I couldn't get out of my own way. I couldn't see out from under the covers. I was just, um, yeah, like just riddled with intense, intense anxiety and depression. So after, like from there, you know, I, I, like I said, I went to outpatient patient treatment, like I got help, you know, but um, it was really scary at 23 or 22 or 23 to be like, diagnosed with a mental health issue for someone that always tried to be perfect and like was, you know, tried to convince everyone else I was, it became unavoidable. And I think it had to hit me that hard at that moment because I would have just tried my whole life to keep running from it. You wow. Know? Yeah. So that, and was it through really finding a good therapist and through therapy, you realized this or they diagnosed you from? Yeah. You know, I talked about this on my podcast last week, but it's interesting, like the diagnosis is, can be a really big deal for people because it's like all of a sudden I felt like I had a stamp on my forehead, you know, I was yeah, like, and it can be like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Totally. I think that's kind of what you said. Yeah. Last, okay. Yeah. 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 So 
but no, I, my therapist was like, well, I think what was refreshing is she was like, this is textbook. You know, I think it felt good to be like, okay, there's a name for this. There's, this is not me being lazy. This is not, because I couldn't articulate it. I was like, yeah. it's not like I'm having fun in bed and like chilling and having snacks. And yeah, I was like, lights off, forget about the world. Like, yeah, like crying or like, yeah. Yeah. And even now it's so funny, like I'm on medication and it's even hard for me to remember now sometimes what it was like in those darkest, darkest moments. Well, that's great. That's a testament to your therapist and whatever medicine, you know, that it's working. Yeah. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I, I always say like, knock on wood, but no, like depression comes in bouts for me at least. So it's like, I, I still have them, but my Lexapro makes it so like, I don't go as deep down. Like, yeah, yeah. You know? I know some people really, and I feel like that's kind of a new way of therapy where they don't really want to label people, but I, I like to know, like, yeah. I want to know like what's yeah. wrong. I like, like, I want the knowledge. I want knowledge the is power. Some people sure. don't, some people want. Totally. But that's like how I feel about like the other day I said this on my podcast too, but I went and got my like fertility checked and my, like my, my eggs and my fertility levels, my AMH and everything. And I was like, I couldn't wait to tell all my friends. I was like calling them from the car. I was like, everyone needs to do this. I know it's like an expensive thing. And a lot of people don't have access, but I was like, if you can, like if your insurance covers it, like do this, like just get it checked. So you have a baseline. I was like, just have a baseline. They were like, no way. Like, I don't even want to know that would like kill me and torture me for like various reasons, whether it was like, cause they have a boyfriend right now and they just would, it would put a lot more pressure on them. But I was like, no, like for me, even finding out like that little information, I was like, oh, I feel like I know myself better. And can you, like, I feel like knowledge is power in that way. Yeah. I mean, and it's weird that they don't tell people that, or I'm sorry, not people, women that I think even just re- when you regularly go to the gynecologist, cause it's good to have, like you're saying a baseline. Cause I did that like later in life and I wish I had done it you know, in my twenties. And then no, like, well, was it this number then? Or was, cause you know, you really don't, everyone is so different that yeah. you don't know. Yeah. I think sometimes I speed up my twenties or like try to, um, because a lot of it's because like I have three older siblings. So I've always just tried to be older, you know, just by whatever. Um, but yeah, I'm trying like, cause with the fertility, they're like, well, you know, like you should do this, you should do that. You shouldn't smoke weed. You should like all this stuff. And I'm like, but wait, you're 27 or are you 27? Yeah, yeah. I just like, am you know, I, I think I was talking to Aaron Foster on my podcast about it and she was, you know, that book quit like a woman. Yes. That's really funny. Cause I, I know Aaron really well. So I listened to that episode. Yeah. She's talking about like her quitting the drinking the wine. Yeah, I, like, I could oh never God. not drink coffee. I'm not a big drinker, but I could never not drink coffee. I know I have to have, I'd be like dead asleep right now. Like I, right. But I like have these temptations to like start getting my life together, you know? And I'm like, I feel like I have in so many ways. So like, I have to maintain my vices just for like, even these last few years. Like I just, yeah, I don't think you need to, if you, you know, like, I don't want to, I'm from a family of gynecologists. So if, if, you know? if, yeah, I'm from a family of OBGYNs. So if, no way. if you're, if someone told you that you should stop smoking pot, is yeah. that what they said? Cause yeah. I'm like, yes. that has more to do with the sperm count than, ah. it has more oh to do with guys than women. Life. I'm so happy. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, cause I've I really, no idea what all your levels are, but like, I can tell you right now, like, you're so young and I don't think that's going to like, Yes. You know, okay. I love that you're you were like 50 years old. Yes. Last. I don't like to drink really. Like I'm not a huge, I'm not yeah. good at it. I should, I, you know, it's, I have it's very like, low tolerance. I'm, I'm like, bad at it. I'm either like throwing up like 
crazy or like being insane or like I'm not drunk at all. Like I just don't, I drink like a college kid. Like I don't know the middle ground. Oh, I'm like the app. I'm like one drink and I'm like, well, I that's think me my too, medicine. But I just like, I don't, I know I have a very low tolerance. I don't think, I don't think you like quitting or that you need to stop smoking pot. I mean, I don't, Okay, that's why you're smoking, but I would just say podcast alone, just that it's true. And it's good information to have, you know, because like, I know now maybe after I get pregnant or like have a baby like that, I am susceptible to postpartum or, you know, whatever. Like it was really important for me to know. Like I also went off birth control because that affects your hormones. And I was like, I can't have like any intervention or like anything like interrupting my natural hormone cycle. So yeah. Well, being on, I will, t- I mean, meanwhile, people are gonna be like, does this lady think she's a gynecologist? But kind of, <laughs> yeah. I do. You're allowed. That, that can affect you getting pregnant if you stay on birth yeah. for a long time. Yeah. Unless you have to be that. on it, unless you have to be on it. Right. Agreed. Just put it, I put it at that. But, you know, so, and in a way it's kind of like a blessing in disguise. I know that's kind of a weird thing to say yeah. about no, that totally. procedure, but then totally. you learn so much about yourself. Yes. And I like, it gave me like, Yeah. I, you know, like I have to learn, like I said, I have to learn lessons the hard way. So like, I think for me, I would have, I, even if I'd been diagnosed with depression and anxiety, unless I was hit that hard, I don't know that I ever would have believed it or, you know, allowed it to be a part of my identity. Really? Even like as a kid or, cause I feel like the generation that you grew up in, like, it's so, especially being in LA, like it's so accepted. Yeah. Well, my East Coast, it's still more like, Oh, it, you for sure. Problems, you know? Yeah. yeah. And my, my mom had really bad depression growing up. And I think I always um, felt like ashamed of that. So I think I adopted some of that into my own diagnosis. And I was just like, I, I didn't want it to, I didn't want anyone to have a reason to judge me before I sat down, you know, or like before they met me and I, or not even like, or before they got to know me, I just felt like it felt like a life sentence to me you know, and, and for so, in so many ways, cause I didn't really at the time, like that I was diagnosed, I didn't see a lot of representation out there. Even it's so funny now, like hmm. a lot of Gen Zers come out about like depression and anxiety, but even like, you know, I'll try to find, cause I'm always looking for guests to talk about certain topics. I'll see like who's open about um, anxiety or depression or even abortions or whatever. And it's like, it's crazy. You, you wouldn't believe how few women especially are like open about it. Like popular, like in pop culture women, like a lot of them are like random, like from the nineties or whatever, you know, like just old celebrities, but it was hard for me to find. So I think I just tried to outrun it, like I said, and then it just hit me in the face. And I was like, okay, you know what? There is no way around this. Like I have to adopt it as my, and like find a way to work with it because it's not going away. It's, I think we're just starting to see it publicly more and more partially because of COVID. And also like I was thinking about with Simone Biles, like how cool mm-hmm. that a gymnast left because of her mental health. Like, I don't remember when we last saw or ever saw that. Oh, Besides maybe the tennis player, but you know what I mean? Like now that these yeah. athletes yeah. are prioritizing that, um, amazing but still it's that you still like the sportscasters are like well she'll tell us soon or explain it it's like they don't have to explain it like shut right. up you right know? like no is it one is, what is it what do they say like no is a full sentence yeah like some guy was like well we'll hear more about this or more about and and as if it needs to be a big explanation right 
or that she owes anyone anything. Yeah. I think like a lot of people are like, they want to hear that you're suicidal. That like other thing, or, or I think a lot of women, especially women that maybe from the outside people think like, oh, they're doing great, you know, or like they have a house, they have a boyfriend, they have a career, they have this, like they're rich. And like, it doesn't matter. Like you can still be completely suicidal. And that's sort of, I think important to say, because people are more likely to be like, oh my God, they're like dying of cancer where, because it's something you can see or, you know, they're terminally ill, but that they don't think of mental health in the same way. Yeah. I just met like, yeah, exactly what you're saying. Like I, I feel like those news outlets and the media just want to hear that she is suicidal. Like, so that yeah. they, like, but, but like for me, I was the most depressed person I knew and like riddled with anxiety, couldn't leave my house, but I was never suicidal. So it's like, both things can be true. You know what I mean? Like you don't, I think people look for like, like the media and stuff would be like, oh, that's, it's only excusable if she was contemplating, contemplating suicide. But like, no, there is intense darkness that doesn't always include suicidal ideation. Or it, it just is manifest in different ways. Like you, you were saying you kind of, that you not kind of, that you became someone that literally couldn't physically leave the house, you know? Mm -hmm. And that's very different than like, if you're about to kill, kill yourself, but it doesn't mean that neither is more or less exactly. valid. Exactly. And and that it's something that people need to hear because everyone has a different story. Totally. It's not like one size fits all. Right. You right. know? So uh, did it take you a while to find the right therapist for you? Um, luckily, when I was at that um, mental health treatment center, like the outpatient program or whatever, th- I met her there. And oh, like- great which was wonderful. And then I just like stole her from there and just used her all the time. Cause she was my therapist there. Um, and she is like my saving grace in life. Like I just like, she totally gave me my life back or gave me the tools to get my life back, you know? And, and I think it was really important for me to have someone that saw me through the darkest period of my life. Um, or so far so that like, she's I'm, so, like, I'm like, there's still time. Right. I know. Right. I know. Seriously. It's so true. I'm like, not good. Um, no, but I, I really appreciate that. She saw me through that because I think that can be really, first of all, it's important for her to have like a firsthand memory, like recollection of it or whatever. But, um, I didn't want to have to like explain it to people over and over again. And so her helping me through that, like made us have this bond where like, she has seen me like at a low that quite frankly, I don't even remember, you know, like some stuff that she reminds me of, of like that I used to say at that time, like, I don't even recognize that person, but it's in me still, you know, that person's still there. So it's like important for me, for her, like to, that she has that perspective too, and can help me in that way. No, it's exhausting. Sometimes like telling your whole story. Like I used to do phone therapy with my therapist that was in New York. And then it became like, he was, it was very obvious. He was like couldn't really hear very well anymore. Yeah. It was also like starting to get dementia where I'd be like, um, what? Like, it's not the 1940s. So yeah. I was like, okay, I have to find someone, which yeah. was so annoying because then you have to, you know, tell the whole story again. Right. And right. it took a while to find like the right person here. I think it, you know. Yeah. And of course, like you tell your story from your perspective, which isn't always the full story. Like when I was at the mental health place, like, she met my boyfriend and she met my parent, you know what I mean? So she has context and like knows everyone in my life. And so it's, it's just like, God, like if I had to start over now, I'd be like, Oh no, it'd be devastating. So is it now, 
you mentioned your mom, but is anyone else in your family like are they big therapy advocates or? Oh was- hell yeah! Okay, because I feel like oh you guys are like an LA. We are an LA family. LA family. Oh my god, yes. My parents are in therapy. My siblings are in therapy. Um, we are a mentally <laughs> like a mentally <laughs> ill family. No, but like we love that stuff. Like that's what me and my siblings talk about all the time. Like my sister is a therapist, so oh my that's god, also, yeah. Um, but yeah, like it, and it's so cool, like to have three siblings, like three people, other people on this planet that, cause obviously like given birth order and stuff, no one goes through the same thing in the same way, but it's nice that we all have similar DNA in some ways and have a lot of the same, um, genetics to work with. So yeah, you have two really- brothers, one sister, right? Yes, yes, I do. Yes. Um, so yes, everyone like mental illness was not this new um, concept to them at all. Like my parents have been on antidepressants since they were like 30 and whatever, oh, wow. but, okay. but it's still like, you know, it's still antiquated for them. It's a, it's a totally different experience than what it is now. Uh, but yeah, it was definitely, it's, it's nice that I have such a support system of like everyone trying to work on themselves and like in therapy and none of that stuff is taboo. Like to a fault, we talk about it at the dinner table, you know? So it's, it's, I feel lucky in that way. That's great. Yeah. What was it like, like growing up in that type of a family? I mean, I was really lucky because my dad was kind of behind the scenes in a lot of ways until kind of like I was in college and, you know, beats came around and everything. Um, but he was like always a record guy. So while like my childhood, let's start there. Like my dad was home a lot, but he brought his work home with him. So every night for family dinners, like there would be some singer or, you know, band or whatever at our family dinner table, like without like no exaggeration every single night, every weekday. Like, so we grew up with people like all the time. And it was nice, you know, like in hindsight, I'm like, wow, that's really amazing that we were so a part of it. Like, so a part of what he was building and what my dad was doing at the time. And, you know, like so involved in, you know, hearing demos and, you know, choosing singles and just like all these things, my dad really included us, but um, my parents were really trying to build something big. So it was, you know, I knew we weren't normal, <laughs> like in a lot of ways, you know, um, and it was very celebrity filled and um, all of that. But I think I got a good, like, because no one really, I didn't have like name recognition. Like some people, like a TSA agent here or there will be like, oh, are you Jimmy Iovine's daughter or whatever? And that'll come up. But like, luckily he's not necessarily, he's not like Brad Pitt or something, right, right, you know? Right, right. So I had like a normal upbringing in that way. It's just like in my home, it was definitely not normal. Like was there, were there people at that the at like nightly dinners that you like were big fans of? Oh my God. Yes. Like Gwen Stefani, who I had on my podcast recently, like her, oh my, every, everyone, every singer that I was obsessed with, like who else, like you name it, they were around, you know, like at especially I like, would be like, so nervous. I feel like if like yeah, Dre was, I'd be like, Oh, Oh, well that, yeah, he's, he's there often, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's weird because like, you'd think that I would be 
less sensitive or like really understand that no one's life is perfect because I grew up around all the people that everyone thinks lives lives are perfect. But no, I'm like, I have the same, I can still convince myself that people are perfect. Like if I don't know them, or even if I do, you know, like on social media and everything, but no, it's, I mean, in some ways, like it was, it was so fun and amazing, but like, then there were other times that like, I'll never forget. This is such a random story, but Weezer for some reason or another was at, do you remember Weezer? (laughs) This is so random. I know of all the people I'm mentioning, I'm like, you probably want better names than this, but no, I was just like in my pajamas, like singing probably like Wicked or like some Broadway musical, like something humiliating. <laughs> and I just around my house, cause I'm like nine or 10 or whatever. And I walk in and at first of all, I have the worst singing voice of all time. But I walk in, my dad's like, we're like in our dining room and they're all meeting in there. I didn't know anyone was in there. And they were like, oh, like you have a great voice, like kind of like making fun of me. But it was just like, and that kind of shit happened all the time. Like there were just always people in our house. And it was like parties and we lived across the street from the Playboy Mansion. So like, it was just weird. Like now I learn as I get older, I realize more and more how weird it was. Yeah. The Playboy Mansion, that would have, but I guess yeah. obviously it's like there's gates and you're not like walking out as a child and like naked women are like they're on the lawn. No, no, but we went to like the Easter parties and their 4th of July parties and whatever. And um that must have been actually kind of fun though it was it was it was totally fun it was it's like you with an easter basket like in the grotto yes no truly (laughs) yes it's like it's a very wholesome event for like what it where it is it's very weird you one of the things that i don't think maybe many people or maybe many people know this about you but i thought it was interesting that you helped bring the a thousand by a thousand campaign like to for it to fruition at so is it pronounced so la Sola. or sola because sola. Okay. i was like yeah. so la sola okay. <laughs> sola foundation which helps uh lower-income families in south la yeah. you tell us a little bit about this program exactly what it does and yeah how, you know yeah. what you get from it Yeah. So during COVID, obviously we all realized how important internet connection was, you know, it was, it was not like, it was not no longer just a means to, um, like get work done. It all all of a sudden became your lifeline to society and to social interaction and all of that. So I was watching the news one day, which is all I did during COVID. So bad. Oh, my we God. all did. And then I was We're like, like don't watch the news watching this. Yeah. I know. And I just, it was like crazy. So I just was watching the news like crazy. And, um, I saw this family one day that was a family of five and, um, four kids and a mom, and they were in a McDonald's parking lot, just using their Wi-Fi, And they sat there Monday through Friday, 9am through 5pm and, or through, yeah, three or whatever till the late afternoon. And the kids were doing online learning on their phones, mind you, like one of them had a tablet, the rest of them were just doing it on their iPhone um, and like logging onto Zoom class. And the mom was trying to talk to her employer from the car. And like, that's just where they sat. And that just killed me because I think what COVID did was it made the gap between the haves and the have nots so large. You know, like a lot of people call it a great equalizer, but in a lot of ways it was not, you know? Um, So I just was bothered by that. And I was like, imagine if you went, like the days that my internet is out, I'm like, what do I do? Like, you know, like you just, like you don't realize how much you need it until you don't have it. So anyway, that really bothered me. And I was like, you know, who do I call? You know, in those moments, you're just like, 
fuck. Um, so I just started telling people about it. Anyone that would listen, I was like, I really want to do something where we like give Wi-Fi to kids. I don't know how that works. I don't know how cell phone towers and why I don't hotspots. I don't know. Great how. idea though. Well, I just was, I just saw a problem and I was like, this seems crazy. It was such a huge oh, problem. I think people didn't even realize till yeah. no COVID. Like you're well, saying. Because, oh, what a lot of people heard and a lot of people thought that it was handled because LAUSD was giving out hotspots, theoretically. Oh, really? Okay. Those hotspots turned out to be very faulty and like not, not give you any connection. I feel like hotspots don't even work half the time, even if you well, like buy the thing, you know what I mean? At the right. airport, like you buy the yeah. hotspot and I'm like, this doesn't even work. Like, right. And let alone for like, if you have more than one kid in the house that needs yeah. to put on for zoom learning. And I just like, these kids are competing against privileged kids. Uh -huh. And this is insane. They like are learning on like, you know, they're competing with kids whose parents have set up a study room for them and have like yeah. incredible internet connectivity and have tutors or whatever. They've, like built them a school. They have like a right. pod. Yeah. Right. They have and a teacher like, there. Literally can't see the whiteboard because they're on their phone. So anyway, it just bothered me. And I was lucky enough to be introduced to the people at Sola um, who really like what I love about Sola is that they there are no, like anything is possible for them. Like they're like, they're the kinds of people where you're like, I feel like donating something. They're like, okay, let's have a drive for ballet slippers or what, you know what I mean? Whatever you want to like, they, they really are dreamers and they really just believe in the That's community. Cool. We'll do. It's so cool. And they are so open, like more open than any other organization I've ever worked with. And I just was like, I have this idea and I kind of thought they'd, they'd take it and do it. You know, like I thought they'd just be like, oh, that's a great idea. Thank you so much. See you later. <laughs> and I hit it off with them and I was like, how do we do this? You know, and um, we were like, we, it, we calculated that for to, to give a family internet access for it would or, um, for three years for free, mm -hmm. it would cost $500,000 to give a thousand families. So we raised $500,000. It took us like a little over maybe like six or seven months. Uh, maybe That's so amazing though. My Wi-Fi doesn't even work and I have money. So like, I don't right. know. Like people, I'm like, this, right. I'm like, is there another like company that can like do Wi-Fi up here? And it was right. Like, oh. right, right. No, it's crazy. That's really cool. So then that was just uh, last year. Yeah. Was developed. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah. And you obviously, I mean, this sort of seems like a, redundant question but obviously like when you do something like that you makes you feel good oh beyond I it's, mean like it's a it just keeps giving you know it like yeah and that is not a bullshit answer like if you like I was talking to this woman Lorea who's incredible and started this program called lunch on me and she was just she articulated it so well but it like it's almost selfish how much it helps you more than the other people you know like it really I really feel like like she was saying that depression is often like lack of, is rooted in lack of connection and there's nothing that connects you to people more than like giving of yourself and like really understand it, it gives you perspective and of course like we're as humans we're resilient and unfortunately we lose perspective a lot but it was the most healing thing I could have done during those six to seven months of COVID like I just I needed something to focus on and focus on really like have tunnel vision about and that's what I did with this and it felt better than good you know what I yeah. mean like it's it's the most addicting thing ever is giving yeah I know it sounds so Pollyanna and stupid but it's true no but like I think I mean I guess unless you're like a sociopath yes, like, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah I mean of course you feel yeah. 
even like when you give a gift, you know what I mean? Yeah. If you're really excited about that to someone or you did something, Absolutely. you'll feel better than getting a gift. Absolutely. But it is a better feeling than any success or accolade or award or anything. It's like, it just brings you back to like center. It like reminds you like why we're on this planet, you know, in a weird way. Do you feel that way too with your podcast a bit? Like, tell me about it where you're, you know, you want to share, I, I feel like it's sort of your motto where you want to share to other women, like we're all going through this, like we're all anxious or this or that. And we all have like problems in our head and can get caught up where yeah. that's rewarding for you. Oh my God. It's like nothing but that would be rewarding to me. I think like I just... If I were another person perpetuating this idea of perfection or like curated lifestyles or aspiration, as we talked about, like I wouldn't be able to live with myself. Like I really, it just would be against, it, I would be the biggest hypocrite in the world because like right. I really strongly believe that everything I've ever been through in my life was so that I could make other people feel less alone when they have to go through it. You know, so doing this podcast, I'm like, I'm not, you know, here to like, it's inspiring to listen to these people's stories, but I'm not here to like preach or tell you how to live your life or say like, oh, like learn from me. I'm this great. I'm saying like, oh, fuck. Sometimes it, like we really hate ourselves. Sometimes like my self-loathing is so bad. Sometimes my anxiety is so bad. Sometimes I, th I feel excluded. Some, like all these things, like all these, like talking about losses, talking about rejections and all that stuff, like it's so refreshing for me. And it's so helpful for me because even when I leave my guests, like, and I, you know, we go about our day the rest of the day and I see them on social media, it's easier for me. Like, even if I see them being perfect, I'm like, okay, but now I know. Yeah, fly. Um, but now I know, you know, like I know that like there is another side of you that you're not showing and it like makes me feel better. What have you found the most helpful for you to get past your own, everything has to be perfect because I find it really hard. And I, it's something I've been struggling with a long time and I'm trying yeah. to learn more, get more tools, but it's, it's, I find it really difficult in this day and age. I think it because of social media yeah. and cause you're right. Sometimes yeah. you'll like hate someone mm -hmm. on Instagram. It could be one of your really good friends and you see yeah. them. Like, oh, I don't hate you. Right. 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 Awful, no. like, you know, you can really get in your head. Totally. And it's hard because, you, you know, perfectionism is a weakness for me, but it's also my, one of my greatest strengths, you know, like, I think it's the reason that I don't settle for subpar work for like that I put out or, you know, like, but, but perfectionism can be the enemy of good. So it's like, I sometimes will sit out because I just don't put like, because it's not a hundred percent perfect. And like, then you miss out on the whole thing. So I think for me, like, um, honestly, like my perfectionism when I was younger, what really helped me was falling as hard as I did. I, ne I needed to, it was like the universe was like, oh, you want to pretend perfect? Like, we're going to make it so you can't, even if you tried, you know, like everyone knew that there was something wrong with me, like, or that there was something going on. Um, so that helped initially, but of course, then afterwards, I was I still had all those inclinations to be perfect and convince other people I was perfect. But for me, it's like I just 
I have to, I, and I, it, the podcast is really helpful because you talk for an hour, hour and a half and like not everything you say is going to be perfect. And you learn that like a lot of the things that you were like, fuck, I should take that out are the things that people gravitate towards the most, you know? Yeah. So I think like with podcasts, sometimes you're going to put out perfect episodes and sometimes you're going to put out good episodes and sometimes you're going to put out bad episodes, but it helps me a lot to know that I can do better, that I have another opportunity next time. But perfectionism, that's as far as work, but perfectionism is perfectionism as far as like socially and stuff is something that I still really work on because like I have a hard time showing up at 50%. Like if I don't feel a hundred percent, I'm like, I want to cancel because I'm like, oh, you know, people won't like get a good glimpse of who I am. They'll misunderstand me or I'll feel like shit. Cause I know that I like they didn't have a good time with me or whatever. And I think like, I'm really like, I was talking about it in therapy today, like hitting that middle ground is really important for me. It's really important that I like, cause I torture myself. Like, I'm like, okay, you need to start working out. So we're going to work out five days a week. You know, I go a hundred percent and I, I have a very hard time with middle with good with, you know, no, I'm the same way. I'm it's like, when we're going to do it, we're going to be up for like 72 hours and we'll get it done right. instead of just like chip away at it. Yeah, totally. What I care more about is like, I care about, am I being authentic? You know, like, and I, and I know that's a buzzword right now and I don't mean it like as far as social media, but I mean it like for me, I just need to show up as me. And like what I've found, which has been revolutionary is that I'm more proud when I show up as me, this sounds so lame, but when I show up as me than when I show up perfect. You know, like even like after I show up perfect, I probably faked a lot of it or like it took a lot of energy out of me. But when I can just show up as me, I'm like, oh, I'm so much more fun. I'm like when I'm not policing myself like that. It's like you like I think the the only antidote for perfectionism is what did I want to say? I just lost my train of thought. But the only yeah, the only um, uh, yeah, the only antidote for perfectionism is trusting yourself, you know, and like and really just learning to let yourself fuck up and like, you know, and, and that's so hard for us perfectionists, you no, know, it is. it's so like, hard. I, I, I have to, I sort of, with my psychiatrist learn like, well, this is good enough, you know? And then I'd be like, but what if it's not even going to be good? He's like, Katie, I know with you, it's probably right. going to be like close to perfect, you know? Yes. So like, just let it go, you know, yeah. but it's very hard because you yeah. think it has to be this certain way. And it's rooted in control, you know, it's really, it's all about like, okay, I need you to perceive me a certain way. So I'm going to show you this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to convince you perfect. And, and I think just like, that's what I'm slowly like getting better at. And it's a daily struggle, but just learning to be like, I love myself. I trust myself. And like, there is tomorrow we can do better tomorrow, you know? Like really, and and just like, I know it cognitively, but it's really hard for me to like apply it. But just knowing that everyone's thinking about themselves and not you, like no one's as focused on me as I am. That's on me. true. I think also that you, I think actually you, I read this, some article that you said, like, you just have to start. Because mm-hmm. I think also with perfectionist, perfectionists, like for me, it's like, if I wanted everything to be perfect with when I was writing a script or this, or even doing, you know, developing the podcast, it's like, you just have to go do it. Like, sometimes it's like, just do it, just get it done. Then like obsessing about every little thing. No, that is like, I, their exposure therapies, but like, that's what I, 
force myself to do like the only way out, especially for me, I can't speak for everyone, but the only way out for me is through. So I, I have to do, I have to throw myself in the deep end. Like I was saying to my boyfriend the other day, I was like, sometimes I like think of myself like in, like in another, as like, as if I'm another person and I'm like, fuck, I always like throw myself in the deep end. Like I signed myself up for the scariest shit ever. You know, like I just like, you know, take any meeting, like do any interview. Like I, I go for gold. And then I like, you know, my more introverted side or like, is like, what, what the, what do you mean? We're going to do like, I, I can't do that. And I think like, that's what's important is that I always maintain that um, desire to throw myself in the deep end and know that I will rise to the occasion, even if I am kicking and screaming on the way there, you know? Right. Um, what does the color yellow represent to you? Because I feel like that is such a like signature color for you. Are you laughing? Do people ask you that a lot? No, I just love it. I love it so much. I know the, the yellow thing so on visual. It. And so like, why well, was, you know, every time I would. Yes. You really there's, like there's, yellow. There's been a yellow moment. Listen, Katie, I'm a very depressed person. Serotonin is very important to me. And when I see yellow, I'm like, I, I called them like serotonin sweaters in the fall because I was early in the winter. Cause I was like, if I wore like a bright sweater, I felt a little better and yellow just like has this hold on me. Like it's just, it was my favorite color growing up. Like I loved it obviously. Um, but it just makes me so happy. But I'm like, I definitely like maybe it's I, I it's it's been overkill a little bit. I but. don't think so. I mean, brunettes look really good in yellow, like blondes not as much. So like, I don't think it's overkill. I just was like, it just made me feel better. You know, I don't know. I just like yellow. I feel like it's fun. It's happy. It's, you know, makes me like brightens my mood a little bit. It makes me look not depressed, even if I feel like, <laughs> you know, I think that's good. Um, all right. Well, we always end with, you know, these five questions. So the first one is what do you do for a mental break? Like if you just kind of want to get out of your head. Yeah. I watch a ridiculous amount of reality TV. Like I know I should say like, oh, I do ceramics and no. I, you know, I, I jog. It's like, no, I smoke weed and I like watch reality yeah. TV. That's like truly watching like reruns, which I've only learned recently is a total symptom of depression and anxiety. Like I didn't realize that a lot of oh, people- great. Yeah, I was like, okay, I have an excuse. Wonderful. I could see if it, if you're a control freak because you kind of know what's going to happen. So it's you don't have anxiety from it, right? Yeah, and it's, yes. And there's like so much happening in like Real Housewives shit that like you, like, because like why people like Real Housewives is because it's kind of like sports, like in a way, like you're rooting for this person or like not. So you're allowed to have opinions about people's lives in this, like that you don't know. So it's just like fun. It makes me not think about my problems in my life. No, totally. Uh, so I love reality TV and what's like, your favorite reality show to watch? I watch all the real housewives. Okay. But is yeah. there like a favorite city? I love Beverly Hills in New York. Um, a lot. I watch Beverly Hills, Potomac, New York, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I like Bravo shows. I also love a true crime documentary, like more than anything. Yeah. I love, I love true crime shows, but I, yeah. I'll watch the Beverly. I like the Beverly Hills housewives. The other ones I can't really get into. Yeah. It's hard. But especially I, I now, what'd you say? Especially now, like after so much time has passed, been like 12 seasons or whatever. Yeah. I'm like, okay, what's yeah. going on now? I'm like, this is nuts. 
Um, when is the last time you cried? Well, we were talking about PMS at the beginning of um, this. So it's I don't know like, where you are in your cycle. So I don't, no, I just I don't want to let us know. No, but um, I, it's, it's so funny. It's hard to get me to cry outside of like therapy. I'm not a big crier. Um, I don't really know why. It's probably something I have to unpack in therapy. That's so but, funny. Like I wouldn't think that about you just from the yeah, show I've listened to. I'm a sensitive person. Yeah, I know. Seriously. No, but I don't really like, unless I'm like doing inner child work and therapy, that always makes me cry for some reason or talking about like old trauma or things like that. Like I, I'll cry. But other than that, like I had really bad PMS last week or two weeks mm-hmm. ago and our air conditioning broke at the same time. And I was like so flustered and cried. Yeah. That's like- you know, I, I was just hot and I was like doing a lot of things. I had to get out the door. I was in a rush and I started sweating and I was, and I cried. I just broke down and cried. The hormones <laughs> were overtaking. Yes. Um, what are you currently reading? Oh, I'm so glad I'm actually reading a book when you ask this. But it could be, do, people always say that. And like, one of my friends was like, I don't read books. Like, it literally could be like, the yeah, New York no, I, I'm off and on with books, but I am, I, I, I have to like reread books sometimes. Have you heard of The Untethered Soul? Someone else was just saying, I don't know, wait, was it that book or Lucify? By Michael Singer. Yeah, someone, I, not on the show. It's, I feel like someone else was saying that to me. What is it about? It's wonderful. Like if you're into like self-help, soul searching, like expanding your consciousness, simple practices like mindfulness and all that stuff. But I'm doing it this time. I'm reading it with a workbook this time because they have a workbook. Oh, that's cool. And I'm usually like not that kind of girl, but I was like, I think I just want to remember, like, you know, those books that you read and you're like, I just wish I could remember, like, what do I do? Like sometimes I'll print out like quotes from books and like put them on my walks. I'm like, how else am I going to remember this? No, uh, if it's a book like that, I'd rather they have a workbook because sometimes yeah. you do that and then you're like, I have no idea what, I don't exactly. remember like what this man said. Exactly. So then I can like go back. So I'm reading yeah. that. Right now. Um, what is the best and worst advice you've been given? What is the best advice I've been given? The best advice I've been given is, was probably um, my therapist who told me, self-esteem is built by doing esteemable acts. So I think like a lot of people think that it's the opposite, you know, like having a self, a good self-esteem makes you do esteemable acts. But a lot of my healing has come from keeping promises to myself, um, saying, doing what I'll say, I say I'll do what I intend to do. Um, really like doing the little things like making my bed even, or like doing just little keeping promises to myself and doing acts that I find esteemable have really been helpful for me, like rebuilding my self-esteem. You know, like I think after like I fell into that depression and panic attack world and everything, I lost so much of my identity and I had to like start over. And I was like, okay, how do I like do this? What are the building blocks for like having self-worth and you know, good, positive self-esteem. And I remember she just told me, she was like, you know, write down all the things that like you do in a day, you know, or like the little things like showering for a depressed person is like a feat, you know, like people don't want to talk about it, but it, you know, like little things like that. And I had to start off so small, you know, but like realizing that little things like even feeding my dog, which I have to do, but it's like little, like you don't realize how many times a day you break promises to yourself and like what that does it like what it does to your subconscious when you do that 
Yeah. So like, I really like self-esteem. Like I, I, so when I think about it, like when I think of like, you know, discipline and, you know, reparenting myself and all that, I always try to remember that because I think that's a better reason for me than like, oh, you'll feel so much better after the workout. It's like, no, it's bigger than that for me. It's like, I need to establish a relationship with myself where like, I know that I will do what I say. I'll like, I'll keep that promise to myself. You know, it means a lot to me internally. Like not letting yourself down. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, the, worst, the worst advice. Yeah. The could worst. Be, so could be sometimes, sometimes the worst advice is like the best. Adv- you know what I mean? Like sometimes yeah. people say, oh, don't, don't start yeah. your podcast. You know, and obviously it's yeah. been very successful for you. Like something like that even. Yeah. I think the worst advice is that, like I told you when that agency said, like, make your life look as, as aspirational as possible. I was like, it just felt like, fitting a square peg in a round hole. I just knew I couldn't do it. And I don't think if that person had articulate, I like, I I think if they hadn't articulated it in those words, the message wouldn't have been as clear to me as it was. Like, I just knew my home wasn't in aspirational curated lifestyle blogging, you know? So I think that, thank God, (laughs) thank God, because it would be a very weird version of myself if I continued to do that. But, um, I think that was the moment where I was like, you know what, Jade, you might not be aspirational. And I think that was even a hard pill to swallow. And I was like, yeah. but there's a whole world on the other side where like, it's not just like I help people. Like I'm like, oh, like, oh I'm going to help you feel less alone. I benefit from the interviews that I do 10 times more than my listeners even do. Cause you know, so I, I think that would be the the worst advice because yeah I think like it's it was really important for me to make that distinction and realize how rewarding it would be to share my story and then hear like because every time you share your story more often than not you're going to be met with a bunch of other people who have been through the same thing as you so once I allowed myself to speak and like actually talk about the things I'd been through as uncomfortable as it made me it helped a lot it freed me I know it's weird because it is, it is very like, oh, that's so like therapy talk. Yeah. You say it as less power or whatever, but it is true. It's weird. I mean, or at least for me and obviously for you, maybe not, you know, like that's trying that. My my therapist calls it or she says, um, name it to tame it. So like, oh, I like that. I know. I like that. I too. like anything that rhymes. Oh. Me too. Me too. It's easy to remember. Yeah. Um, she actually cool. told me that today, but yeah, like languaging your, um, you don't realize how, because shame thrives in silence. So. Oh, absolutely. They say that shame can't like exist once it's language. So that really, I was so shame-based for so long about everything that I'd gone through and finding the words to even talk to, like, you don't have to start a podcast and say all of your dirty laundry, you know, but even like being able to tell your boyfriend, your friend saying what, like me being able to actually walk my friends through that year that was really hard for me or two years was so important for my healing. Did your boyfriend know you at that time? Oh yeah. He slept like, oh yeah. Like, right. He like watched me while I slept. Like, during the, yeah, he was so... Oh attentive and I think that's he's the most unbelievable least judgmental person in the world so like I am so lucky that I went through it with him also that I didn't like I'm I'm fortunate that I never had to date with 
Like, I, I feel like it would be hard to like go on a date and be like, oh, I have to take my Lexapro or whatever. Like, I think that w- that can be hard for a lot of people because there's so much stigmatization. Um, but no, he was wonderful when I was going through it. And like, it was hard, you know? Like, I think yeah. like for him to see someone he loves, like going through that and understanding it at a young age was hard, but it made our relationship like so much richer, you know? Yeah. Like, it really like taught me that, he like if he ever says like in sickness and in health like he fucking means it you know and I think that was really like not a lot of 20 something year olds get to prove that to someone else you no, know it's actually men that young right I mean, women but like I mean I just feel like men he held my hand and was like zero percent ashamed and was just amazing amazing that's great. And let me heal with like no intervention. Like he did not want, like he never stepped in and was like, you need to do this. You need to do that. Like he just was there to hold space. And that was super important for me. Yeah. Like let you have your, your, your time frame of it. Not like gotta hurry up and get well, you know, which not is like never helpful. No. The last question is what Instagram account do you find uplifting? If any, like Instagram yeah. is so, we've touched on it a little, but like yeah. I find it to be sometimes such a mind fuck. And so mm-hmm. I always like to hear what other people like to look at or yeah. maybe. Um, no, I follow so many of those. Like, I think it's like therapy made easy. I'll, I mean, I'll, t- I'll tell you what actually is something like that. Like, I love all those accounts. I follow like self healers unite or whatever. Uh, but what I find like, it's weird. Like my, when you, when I read that question, I was like, have you heard of the Instagram account? Or if you high? No, it's like, Maybe I need to look at it now. It's great. It's like, not like self-help at all, but it's like all like, um, like, ASMR kind of yeah 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 yeah, yeah. But it's like satisfying so it's like like how do I explain it like so, is it like showing like like those like blackheads like out of nose with like those kinds of things but like all like sensory like um you know like when people take those like rakes through sand like doing yeah. like a lot of that kind of stuff and it's like followed by a multi-million like so many people but it's like it's, it's just where I go on Instagram. It's like the one place I can hide on Instagram where I won't see like another person, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. won't be or confronted with an ad or whatever. Like I just go on and oh, I'm like, yeah, weirdly, like my mind can't think of anything else when I'm like watching like something like that. It's like intoxic. That's why it's called if you high. Cause it's like, if you're high while you're watching it, so like it's like more of, it's kind of more a very visual sound. It's as well. very visual. Okay. Yeah. And it's like, just, it just gives your brain like a break and lets you take a breath. So like when I see it in my feed, like after like an influencer posting like a face tuned picture, I'm like, oh, thank God. Like it actually lets me exhale, you know? Yeah. And I heard how like in, is it Sweden or I don't know, some country now you have to tell. I saw that too. Right. That you have to say like, I yeah, edited, like Photoshop this picture. And I, I was like, well, how could they even prove that? Like, that's so bizarre. Like everyone's going to be arrested. Yeah. I was like, how? I'm like, I guess no one will be posting anything like right. anymore. Like I I thought that was, I mean, it was great, but I was like, I don't know how they're going to police this. Totally. Me neither. I, I mean, it's I, I like, let people live, you know what I mean? Like if they want to edit their photos, it's like, yeah. I know how damaging it is and terrible, but it's like, we all do it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think people can kind of, I mean, maybe not. I think you can kind of tell when something's oh, for like sure. really edited. I don't know. I mean, I'm, you seem very visual. I'm very visual. Yes. Maybe unless you're like, I don't know, living with your head in the sand. I don't know. Yeah. 
no, you can totally tell. You can totally tell. And I think like it's more important that like it's less important to punish the actual people doing it than it is to like teach us as children and in school and all of that that like Instagram is in no way real. Like it's not just pictures, they're editing their captions and you know, like the whole thing is edited. Yeah, like it's, I can't imagine growing up with social media. Like I would be so upset if I wasn't invited to a party and I can't imagine like seeing the party play out. Like I just, I can't. Oh my God. No, I mean, I kind of grew up with it. But I was going to say you did, right? Because when did Instagram Instagram, I think I got my Instagram when I was in 11th grade, but at the time, like you just posted like the coffee that, you know what I mean? With like a weird sepia, like filter on it. Oh my gosh. So that, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Well, thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. Shouts out to Jade Iveen for joining me. We are so thrilled to have you. And Jade, where can our listeners find you? So I'm at Jade Iovine on Instagram, J-A-D-E-I-O-V-I-N-E. Um, and where can I, oh, my podcast is called Tell Me About It. It comes like, uh, duh. it comes out every Tuesday. Um, and yeah, so come visit. And if you go on, the, uh, you can click the link in my bio to listen. Or um, if you want to text me, you can leave me a voicemail or text me. And my number is in my bio as well. That's all, folks. Be sure to subscribe to Ben Better HBU. We can be found on Apple and Spotify and tune in next time. Thank you for tuning in to Ben Better. How about you? To learn more, please visit benbetterhbu.com and check out our Instagram, bbhbu. Slide into our DMs with your questions and or comments. Also, be sure to subscribe for your weekly prescription. This pharmacy is open 24-7.